0: Hey, good morning, welcome back to Parsha Perspectives for today. I'm so grateful for this microphone because I have no voice. The sign of a good Shavuos is when you have no voice on Yisru Chag the day after. Baruch Hashem. I want to thank our generous series sponsors for the year. Our dear friends Becky and Avi and family who dedicated the Parsha Perspectives in loving memory of David Grossman, of Becky's father David Ben Menachem Monish. I want to remind everyone who's not yet signed up for the one-on-one campaign a dollar a day of tzedakah, a minute a day of Torah learning, and the merit of our beloved ST Moskowitz, Esther T. Lebas The Moskowitzes get alerted each time someone signs up. It's tremendous chizuk, it gives them a lot of strength. So I know that people are willing to give a dollar a day and learn a minute a day. You can find it online, brsonline.org slash one and one. We are not in person in the next two weeks. We'll be uh, elsewhere. Merz Hashem uh, celebrating a Simcha. Uh, we may, do the Parsha class online only, haven't decided yet, on location from a very special place. We'll see. But uh, we're not going to be in person, so please uh, pay attention to the notices about whether we are streaming live the Parsha class the next two weeks, but it will not be in person. We have the privilege this week of reading and learning, parshas Naso, page 748 in the Art Scroll Stone Chumash, parshas Naso. And here we are continuing the story of Klai Yisrael, their trek through the desert. Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, "We are continuing this notion of the census. It's the census that never ends. It is the count that is never complete. The continued exercise in Hashem's affection for His children continues to count and to visit and revisit how many there are over and over again." The Arim made a point on our parsha. Chiddush Arim said that there's more Torah about Pasha's Nasso. Than anywhere else. The Medrash on Parsha's Nosso, the Torah Shabbat, the rabbinic text and rabbinic tradition on our Parsha, is extreme, is elaborate, is lengthy, is comprehensive. Why so much? The Zohar Kodesh also has an enormous amount of quantity on this Parsha. Why specifically, Parsha's Noso, is there such a rich rabbinic tradition that complements the Torah Sav, that complements the text itself? The Chidush Arim said, that this Shabbos is not just an ordinary Shabbos. We have some Shabbos that have a name. Shabbos is not just associated with its parsha, but there's a name, there's a theme, and the Shabbos, Parshas Naso is known as Shabbos Noch Shavuos. It is the Shabbos after Shavuos. Not just Parshas Naso. Shavuos is not in the rearview mirror. Shavuos is not behind us, no matter how gratified and satisfied we are that we are complete and that we finished all of our shiurim and drushas and all of our uh, themed, uh, extensive, elaborate shavuos programming. But shavuos is not in the rearview mirror, it's not behind us. The next Shabbos after shavuos, the Shabbos noch shavuos, it is still an extension, we are still drawing from the wellsprings of shavuos. And writes, Rav Avram Shore quotes, And he writes, And he writes, Shavuos, we received the Torah. Shavuos, we re receive the Torah. We weren't commemorating, we spoke about this on this morning. We didn't commemorate or remember or memorialize. We didn't recall. We don't have a ritual or a ceremony because Matan Torah, Kabbalah's Torah, was not something in the past. It's not ancient or archaic. It doesn't have to be relived or remembered. It is ongoing, it never ended. There was no half there's no break, there's no barrier. Hashem continues to speak to us, the conversation is ongoing. We are receiving the Torah each and every day anew. We add to the quantity and quality of our learning more time dedicated for learning, and a deeper understanding and approach, more penetrating insight into learning. quotes his father, Rav Yeshur, Adin, Adayin. There is still an ongoing connection to Shavuos. That energy, that inspiration, that motivation, the drive that we took from Shavuos to revisit Torah anew, to receive it anew, to learn it with excitement, with enthusiasm, with zeal. We have to accept upon ourselves to learn Torah with more time, greater quantity, and in a deeper way, greater quality. So it's not a coincidence, our tradition teaches, that we have so much Torah about Parshas Naso, because we are diving deeper, we are allocating more time. Shavuos is not over and the summer has begun. Shavuos just gets us going. We're not done with Sefirah Saomer. We counted the 49 days, Shavuos came and went, and now it's over. We're just getting started. We're just beginning. We're just setting our learning goals. We're just making time for Torah. We're, we're just getting started with Asei Torahs We're making Torah the central part of who we are and of our lives. So that is why there's so much Torah Shabbat Peh connected to our parsha, Parak Mem Tes. We're going to already start, post this census on the next page, page 750. The Torah tells us, at the end of this count, we're given the totals. All of those who were counted. Pasuk Mem Kol Asher Pekad Moshev Ya'aron Yisrael Leves Avosom The Leviyim were counted separately. They were not part of the general census. They deserved their own distinguished count because they had distinguished themselves in their service and their behaviour, they hadn't fallen prey, they hadn't made the same mistakes as the rest of Qayisra. But you or Mem Tess. Api Hashem Moshe, they counted them at the word of Hashem, Ish Ish Al every person over his work and over his responsibility, ufigudov hashem as moshe. And his count was as Hashem commanded, Moshe. What does this mean? Uf kudav ashertsiva. Ashertsiva. Uf kudav ashertsiva. So, Rzeidel Epstein. Uf kudav ashertsiva. Hashem es Moshe. Let's take a look at the Ramban. What the Ramban has to say. What the Ramban has to say. Vita Hainsh. Yeah, ke Kepshuto. Rashi understands, let's take a look first at Rashi. Paseg Mantes in Rashi. Rashi understood. This was a reference to Moshe. Moshe had to count the people from 30 years until until 50 years. These were the counting, but the Ramban rejects. The Ramban does not fully accept Rashi. He says, Moshe here was counting the offspring, the progeny of each of these three brothers. Who were the three brothers that we're talking about? Again? Gershon, Kas, and Merari. These three, thank you. These three uh, brothers. We're talking about they and their offspring. Alavodaso. Each had their own a personal service, each had their own responsibility, Amas, oh, their burden, their responsibility, what they had to do. A person has their own responsibility, their Dalat Amas, what they're meant to do, their own mission. And we cannot overlap or interfere, we don't compete or compare, we don't do someone else's mission, and a person doesn't do ours. The Ramban quotes a Gemara Chazal, the Sifri, in Korach, that one great sage wanted to help the other sage, and he said, Step back. Fall back. Fall back. Or we would say today, today's parlance, Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. misa shani min shorim What are you doing? My job is to lock the gate and your job is to sing. We each have different jobs. Why are you trying to infringe on my job? Why are you trying to take my responsibility, my role, my mission? We don't just overlap and we don't just allow it to blur. We have distinct, unique missions in this world. Hashem positioned each of us with our talents, with our skills, with our blessings. He positioned each of us even with our liabilities and our challenges. And he told each and every one of us to pursue why we're here, what we're meant to do. Don't simply copy someone else and don't compare and don't compete with someone else. And don't infringe on the responsibility and job of someone else. And no one should in ours. And that's what Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania was telling Rabbi Yochan ben Gudgudah, or he tried to help him. And what did Rabbi Yochan ben Gudgada say? Chazor l'acharecha, <laughs> stay in your lane, fall back. That's not your job. That's not your place. Each of us have a unique mission. And where do we know that? Where do we see that? From our Pasuk. The Ramban understands that's Ufkudav, Asher Tziva Hashem as Moshe. That Hashem was instructing Moshe, each one's responsibility, each one's job, what each one was meant to do. The great Rav Zaydel Epstein, the Mashkiach of Yeshiva's Torah, or in his Haaros, beautiful Svarim. We're going to quote him several times today. The great Rav Epstein says in this Ramban, Ad At kamat kolechad makomo how important it is for each and every person to be makir es makomo. Person has to know their place. Pastor has to know, why am I here? What am I meant to do? What are my strengths and what are my challenges? Too many people in life just coast through life. We're just carried by the momentum of life. We're just trying to keep up with others in life. But do we pause and do we stop and do we say, why am I here? What am I meant to do? What is my unique mission? Or what is my unique responsibility? What is my purpose? What are all the aspects of my life that position me to do what? You see from this Ramban that if a person does what they're not meant to do, it's a capital crime. It's a capital punishment. We're not taking advantage of what we were here for. The world will be bereft and absent, void of what we were meant to contribute to it. This is the Chiddush. Here's the incredibly powerful insight, is that even though even though what I'm trying to do is what you were doing is serving Hashem, but if it's not what's meant to be for me in serving Hashem, Chayv Misa. It's not just a factor, it's not just a function of is this for me or is this for Hashem. Even if it's, excuse me, for Hashem, it has to be what was meant for me for Hashem. It has to be what was meant for me for Hashem. Someone who was a gatekeeper. Someone who was supposed to tend the gate. And instead they decide, you know, I have a nice voice. I'm going to sing. And their singing is for Hashem. They want to be in the choir of Hashem. The levium that sang while the Karbanas were offered for Hashem. Misa. Isaiah Lepstein says every Jew has to figure out what they're meant to do, why they're here, and then pursue that, and then pursue that, and not infringe on someone else's territory, and not compete with someone else's territory. In his Tzav Viziros, in his Tzav Viziros, writes, In his Tzav Viziros, in his Tzav Viziros, Saulam. People bemoan what they see as a lack of freedom of choice. They feel so compelled, I'll read you in the English, they feel so compelled by earthly desires that they feel they cannot control themselves. But know that for every choice that must emerge from an individual chooser, there must be an individuated self to choose. There must be a person who can stand by himself, who can decide what he wants for himself. But if there's no person, just one of the crowd, there can be no free choice or personal will. Because who will choose if besides the herd mentality, there is no one there at all? In other words, we're swept up with peer pressure, with popular opinion, with the behavior of others. And we think and we claim, what could I do? What choice did I have? I don't really have free will, I don't really have bakhira but we do. We do if we simply take the responsibility for it, if we take ownership over it. We have that bakhira We have that bakhira If we take that responsibility, we have that bakhira But it begins with what? Not being part of the crowd recognizing our individuality, understanding that we are unique and distinct and different, and that each and every one of us have our own purpose in why we are here. That's what it begins with. Are you like a plant or animal whose individual essence is just one of a kind? What is in the species is in the specimen, which is why we have no free will. Their instincts are not under their individual control, but under that of collective laws of the species. Their willfulness does not rise out of individual need, but out of collective need. And so, the P.S.S. And the Rabbi says, before we can express or exert free will, free will begins with being ourselves, individuality, recognizing who we are. That is the beginning of that is the beginning of free will. The essence of individuation. How is a person individuated from mankind by differentials in intelligence or willfulness? This cannot be. Animals also have differentials of this kind. At its prime, an animal has greater strength, willfulness, perhaps even intelligence than when aged. Nevertheless, the basic nature encompasses them all without the ability. So a person must individuate himself with the essence of who he really is. Not only must he not remain imprisoned by social rules, cultural customs, or accepted thought without the ability to see beyond them, he must also have a mind of his own. Without this, not only is he not a Jew, he's not even a person, not even a person. This means bringing out that which is unique within you, that which depicts your very self. Your Torah learning or divine service should not just be an expression of your intelligence, but of your very essence. The way you approach Torah learning or prayer should represent you. When someone hears a Torah thought or a specific spiritual practice, let him be able to identify it as typically one of yours. Take, for instance, the Rambam's works. They can be identified by their style and distinct wisdom. Same is true of Ramban, and so on. And this is not some privilege reserved only for great luminaries, says the P.S. Etzner. Each and every little one of us has not only the right, but the obligation to express his unique and individual self. And to the degree that you are able to live in this world from the very center of your unique self, to that degree will you be able to exercise your individual free will. Raise yourself up above the crowd. Bring out what makes you unique. Become a person who can choose for himself the prerequisite for reaching Hashem. And his is This is written in his spiritual diary. He had a diary, but the Pia Zetzner, the didn't write in his diary you know, what I had for breakfast today, or I can't believe my friends didn't pick me for the for the softball game or the softball team. there in his diary wrote these spiritual um, thoughts that he had, he wrote these spiritual struggles that he had, he wrote what came to mind. And here he talks about this notion that the prerequisite for free will is recognizing the power of our individuality, recognizing who we are and what we offer the world. He writes in another entry, two entries later, that was entry Yud, 10 two entries later, this is one short paragraph, so I'll share it with you. He says, Hamakir es makomo, person has to know their place. You have to, makir es makomo. You have to stay in your lane. Have osu ba'olam. Be creative and contribute to the world. Give it the best you have. Make a niche for yourself that will always be felt in the world. Are not the places? When you're makiras makomo, when you carve out your place, when you plant your flag, when you know why you're here, you achieve immortality, eternity. Your legacy lives on forever. Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, Moshe Rabenu, Rabbi Akiva, Rambam. Are we not still quoting them? Are we not still referencing them? Do they not all know their place? Are there not places of our forefathers, the prophets of the tzaddikim, to this day not known in the world? What a void there would be in the world, for instance, had there been no Ba'ashem Tov. He who knows his place, who leaves a mark in this world with his life, his place will forever be known even beyond his life. The notion of being Makir es Makomo. We can't begin to live our life, we can't begin to craft a legacy to leave a legacy. If we don't know our place, who are we and why are we here? What difference are we meant to make? What is our unique and distinct mission mission in this world? To know our place. We've shared countless times, the Ramchal, that the, the essence of life, the core of life, not as what's man's duty in the world, but each and every one of us have our own world. We are a world unto ourselves. Everyone's going through their own peckle. Everyone's going through their own thing. Everybody's positioned with their own power and strength. We have to know our place. We have to know our place. And while we are here, Aleishora Volba also elaborates on this. We don't have time. I want to get back to the parsha. But he too writes so beautifully about Da es there's an enormous responsibility, a great avoda. An individual knows himself and is aware of his nature, who knows what whatever Hashem has given him is a wondrous gift. If he will only take advantage of his talents and strengths, he will attain all desirable traits. Such an individual does not suffer from jealousy or envy of another person's lot in life. Don't compare. Have faith in Hashem. He's given us all of our spiritual needs. We don't need anyone else's haskama. You don't need anyone else's approval. Baruch's approval is all we need to wake up and realize why we're here, what we're meant to achieve and accomplish. We don't emphasize this enough, and we don't undergo this exercise enough with our young people. We try to download countless information and data. We try to overload them with halacha, and we overload them with facts, all critically important, all part of Talmud Torah. But do we have a curriculum? Do we teach? Do we have an exercise in teaching them what it means to be Makiris Makomo? How does a person understand who they are? Not in comparison or contrast, not in competition with others, but uniquely and distinctly, who each person is on their own, and what they offer the world, and what difference we are meant to, what difference we are meant to make. Okay, let's keep going. But good. Rather, we move on with the law of the purification of the camp. Expelled from the camp. Those who are impure, the camp has to retain its purity. Keshboruch, has a concept of Kedusha, Kol Machanecha, our whole camp has to be holy. And the three camps of Hashem have been higher thresholds of holiness that have to be maintained. There's a notion of Tishalchum of sending out until the person undergoes their own purification and is ready to come back. Perkei Pasekiyot. Next. Vaydebi Hashem Amoshe Limur. So HaShem spoke to Moshe and he taught the following halacha, Speak to Klai Israel, a man or a woman who commits any of man's sins, and what are those sins? By committing treachery, toward Hashem, and that person becomes guilty. What do they have to do? Such a person has to confess the hate that they did. person has to confess the hate that they did, and they have to pay back the principal and add another 20 percent a fifth, and pay back the person whom they hurt, the person who they hurt. So um, what, why this is the source of the Rambam, vis Vadu,. The notion that we make a mistake, we have to confess it. It's not enough to make restoration. It's not enough to offer compensation. But a person has to offer a confession. You have to admit, you have to articulate, you have to say out loud I made this mistake, I did this thing that was wrong. I take responsibility, I take extreme ownership. It was me. There are no excuses, there's no one else to blame, but I am taking responsibility. The notion that we have to confess when we are repairing, when we're undergoing chuba for any mistake, the Rambam learns from this pasuk, from this case of Gezel Agir, when a person stole from a convert. Chidush Ha'arim wonders and is bothered of every place the Rambam can learn it, of any source that we can learn that there is an obligation or responsibility of confession. Why specifically in the case of Gezel? Why theft? Why not learn that if you violated Shabbos, admit, confess, you violated Shabbos, Yet non-kosher, admit it, spoke lashon Hara, admit it. Why not some other transgression? Why not that be the source for the notion of vidui of confession, of articulating our mistake? Why specifically Gezel? The Chiddush HaRim has a magnificent answer. The Ger Rebbe, the Chiddush HaRim says, says, you know why it's here? Because implicit in every chait that we ever do is gezel. And this connects to what we just saw in the Piazatner and Revolba, the idea that each of us are given gifts, each of us are an individual who are positioned with opportunity to make a difference in this world. Every time we make the wrong choice, every time we abuse, we misuse our strength, our health, our talents, our skills, our gifts, we have stolen from God, we've stolen from Hashem. He endowed us with those things to make a difference, and when instead of using them to make a positive difference, we use them in the pursuit of selfish hedonism. We use them to satisfy our own, to indulge in our own instinct and impulse. We haven't just crossed the boundary of done something wrong, but we've actually stolen from Hashem. Every hate is an act of gezel. Every time we ignore Hashem, within every sin we do, we have stolen. We've misused our resources, our health, our strength, all of it could have been more directed to Hashem. So that's why as eschatasam, the source of confession is learned from the case specifically of Gezel hager. That's Meila. Meila is to take something holy and to profane. If you have haktesh, you have something consecrated, sacred, sanctified, and instead you use it for something personal, that's a violation of Meila something designated for the temple, and you use it personally, you violated me'ilah. So the truth is, every time we abuse and misuse what we have that could be consecrated and sacred, the talents, the skills, the strength, the energy, the time that we have that could be used for a holy purpose, and instead we use it for something else, that's me'ilah. That in itself is a violation of, of, of uh, profaning something that was meant to be holy. Parake Pasuk, you turn the page. We move on to the case of the sota. The case of the sota. If you have a man whose wife goes astray, sota, Samach and Sin are interchangeable. That's why Chazal used the Samach, Misach Sota. Torah here uses the sin, but it means that a woman made a poor choice. She went astray. She violated her marriage. She was untrustworthy. Why here is this called Mi'ilah? Treachery, Mi'ilah, to profane something sacred. What was sacred? Marriage, marriage is called kedushim, hektesh, kadosh, kedusha. Marriage is holy. Marriage is not just, marriage is not just some partnership which is of convenience. Marge, marriage is not some transactional relationship. You cook dinner, I take out the garbage, you bring in the money, I'll bait the kids. Marriage is holy. It matters. There's a big problem, I'm gonna write an article about this. The institution of marriage is under assault not only in its new definitions, but even just people not getting married. The, the numbers, the data of how many people are choosing to, I'm not talking about in the firm community right now, But everything that happens in the world ends up seeping in and penetrating into the Torah community. But the people who are just choosing to live together, because marriage is just a piece of paper, what difference does it make? It makes a huge difference. Marriage is an institution. Marriage is a commitment. Marriage is a promise and a pledge of holiness. It's something that transcends more than just the transactional relationship, or even a romantic relationship but absent commitment. Marriage is the expression of commitment. It's called kiddushin. It's called holiness. It's called holiness. And it means something. And it's bigger than just the tax benefits that you can claim. It's bigger than just a civil ceremony. There's something greater which is achieved. There's a Kiddushan, there's a holiness which is achieved. And when that holiness is violated, when it's profaned, ma'al abomal, there's a mi'ila which is, which is violated, a mi'ila which is carried out, profaning something that should have been sacred. Why did it happen? The commentaries point out. Why do we have a redundancy, ish, ish? What led this woman, Kisiste ishto? What led her to look elsewhere? What led her astray? What led this woman to seclude herself with another man? Who it turns out that maybe, maybe not, she actually violated physical boundaries with. Maybe they were just playing chess or checkers. Maybe they were just having a conversation or a cup of coffee. But she did it inappropriately. She violated yichud, she was alone, secluded in a locked space. What led her there? So a commentary, say, ish, ish? could have just said ish once, ish, ish. This man overpowered, ish, ish, he dominated. He overpowered, he micromanaged. He was so interested in showing her his masculinity, ish, ish, ki ishto. He's so overpowered, that's not to suggest she's innocent. You don't uh, blame him to the exclusion of her accountability, but it means that part of the background of what created the situation that she looked elsewhere, was Ish Ish. His dominance led her, ki ishto, that she wanted to find someone else who validated, who loved, who had affection, who admired, who was appreciative, who was grateful. So many of the unfortunate tragic episodes of infidelity have nothing to do with physical connection or intimacy, they have everything to do with looking for something emotionally elsewhere, looking elsewhere for an emotional connection because of the result of an Ish Ish or an isha isha but the result of an overbearing or overpowering of a lack of of affection and connection and intimacy, emotionally, that leads elsewhere. The case of Sota is not a case of a woman who necessarily was wayward. What happened was a man said, a man is suspicious. You secluded yourself, you isolated yourself. Don't ever do that again. I'm giving you a warning and the warning is in front of two witnesses. Don't ever seclude yourself again, don't lock yourself, don't violate yichud, don't be alone in a place of temptation. And she secludes herself. She ignores the warning and witnesses testify that she isolated herself with another man. She is brought to the Mishkan, to the Beis hamikdash. she is given the Mayim Ma'aram. she drinks from the special beverage, the special concoction, the special liquid. Hashem allows His own name to be erased for the purpose of shalom, to try to preserve shalom. And the Torah tells us what happens. If she's innocent, she's blessed with a child. If she's guilty, she explodes. She suffers a horrific, graphic death. And so does the man with whom she violated her marriage. Even though that man is not summoned to the base of Mikdash, he doesn't appear before the Kohen. The man does not drink from that concoction. But the man with whom she violated that boundary also dies as a result. The Sarshalama Bells, the Bells of Rebbe says, from that phenomena, we see the source of drinking lachaim. What? What does drinking lachaim have to do with the man dying in the case of sota? He says, you see, if the woman in the base HaMikdash could drink, and he, wherever he is, he's playing racquetball, he's in the base Midrash, he's at work, wherever he is, when she drinks, he suffers. The consequence, if that could take place for the negative, then it could also be that when we drink, we could bring a positive result for someone, even if they're not there. So when you could drink a l'chaim, someone should have a refu a somebody should have a simcha. A lachaim, somebody should have good news. You see that if it could work in the negative, the sota could drink and the man drops dead, then we could drink lachaim, and it brings somebody else wherever they are, a sense of a refuah lema. So in this context, parakeh pasuk, yud, I skipped. V'ish, es lo ye ish asher Go back a section, I apologize, I left out. I just left out. At the end of the section that preceded this, person was obligated to bring to the Kohen all of the proper gifts to the Kohen. person was obligated to bring those proper gifts to the Kohen. So Rashi says here, now we have the case of Sota. That's why I skipped and was confused, coming off a three-day yontif and spoke. I won't tell you the number of times, so you have to bear with me and forgive me today. Just bear with me. Rashi says, why do we have the responsibility of giving to the Kohen? Positioned right next to the case of the Isha Sota. We have a responsibility to tithe, to separate from our income. Today we do it financially, Maiser but the farmer took a portion of what they worked hard and toiled, the income they drew, with the produce that they harvested, and they had to give a portion to the Kohen, a portion to the Levi. So why do we have the juxtaposition? Why does the Torah teach us the laws of separating a portion for the Kohen and Levi? And immediately afterwards it succeeded right by ish ishto, kisista ishto, ish ish, that the case of the wayward woman. says Rashi, "Koshi yesh v'ein l'kohen, sof nitzrach l'kohen aide ishto. Whoever has that produce, whoever has that income, but they're stingy, they're selfish, they refuse to give it or share it with the Kohen. They don't bring it to the Kohen. You didn't go to the Kohen to deliver the gift you were meant to give to the Kohen. In the end, you're going to have to go to the Kohen. You know why? Because you're going to bring, bring your wife to the Kohen when you suspect her of adultery. So, Rav Yitzhak Weinstein, who was a mashkiach of Slonim in Lithuania, he says, you'd think this is, at first, this sounds like the Torah is telling us a classic case of midah keneged midah. You were trying to avoid the kohen. You selfishly and stingily didn't want to give the kohen what he deserved. You avoided the kohen. You can't avoid the kohen. You tried to keep it to yourself. You avoided the kohen. Guess what? In the end, you're going to the kohen, not for such a pleasant thing to deliver truma. You're going to the kohen to test your wife to try to save your marriage. <speaking in Hebrew> However, says Rav Einstein, no, this is not just a classic Mida Kenegid Midah. This is not just because you didn't want to go to the Kohen, now you're being dragged to the Kohen. Tafkin Yehudi Leos Kodosh. The goal, the mission of a Jew is to be holy Kadoshim to you. Vakkohonameh Lam Yisrael. Who are the source? Who are the role models? Who are the influencers of holiness? The Kohanim. That's their whole mission, that's their whole job. bin Kodosh bin Chol. Vikhidashto. The Kohanim have a responsibility. They are distinguished in their sanctity, in their holiness, in their service in the Beis of But more than that, we treat them with that dignity, with that sanctity. They get that first aliyah and they lead the benching. And you're not allowed to be mashamash with Kohen. You can't ask a Kohen to go drink, bring you a cup of water. We treat a Kohen with distinction because they are the role model of Kedusha. Tafkidam School Israel. Why do they get truma? Why do they live off the community? Why don't we say to the kohen, "Why don't you go buy your own farm?" Why don't we say to the kohen, "Buy your own farm, or uh, be your own farmer, be your own sharecropper, draw your own income, draw your own livelihood." What are you leeching off the community, kohen? The answer is no. We give a portion. We give truma forty, the fiftieth, sixtieth, depending on our level of stinginess and generosity. We give the kohen why? Because that is his payment for being our teacher and our role model, for being our mentor, our trainer, and our coach. It is not we're doing something generous or magnanimous. We're not doing something gratuitous. We're doing something that is deserved. It's his compensation. The coin has that role. And our recognition, our appreciation for the modeling of kedusha that the coin does, we give him the truma. So someone who says, No, I'm not paying it. I'm not giving that compensation. I'm not paying the kohen through Truma. My mashma, what is that person really saying? Shei makir You know what? I don't think the kawain is so holy. And I'm not really interested in holiness. I don't want to live with holiness. I don't want to learn from his holiness. So I'm not paying him. I don't need a trainer. I don't need a coach. I don't need him as a role model. I don't recognize that aspiration or ambition. And I don't recognize his role in my life. So this person, who the atmosphere in his own home, his spouse and his children say, Abba, Daddy, Tati. She says to her husband, No, aren't you going to bring the Truma to the Kohen? Don't we have to say thank you for the model he is, for how he serves, for the holiness that he inspires us to live? The husband says, No. I I'm not inspired to live for holiness. I don't value holiness. I don't care about it as being a role model of holiness. What happens? What happens? You degrade, you dissolve the pursuit and the appreciation of holiness within such a home. And then what happens? The result is the wife goes astray and you're left going to the Kohen, paying the price for the unraveling of your Kiddushin. Kedushin is holiness. And if we want to receive holiness and live with holiness, we want the people around us to preserve and protect and honor. And be faithful to holiness with us, then we have to be faithful and honor and pursue and value holiness. We spoke on Yontif about Indian Americans dominating the spelling bee and why that is. What we celebrate, we value. What we value, we celebrate. What our children see us celebrate, they will value and they will sacrifice for. And what they don't see us celebrate, they don't see us care about or value, then they won't sacrifice. They won't pursue and they won't value. So what role does Kaddushah have in our life? Revan Shri is saying, it's not just mida k'neged midah. You didn't want to give the gift to the Kohen and the end of the day, guess what? You're going to the Kohen. You'll need the Kohen now. It's not just that. It's not just you to speak Lashon Har about the rabbi at your Shabbos table. You had nothing good to say about the rabbi. You didn't care about your membership. You didn't pay membership. You didn't value membership in the shul. You didn't care about the rabbi. Guess what? You're going to need the rabbi. When your passport expires and you want to go to Israel, you need a connection with the congressman when you have a shila, an end-of-life issue, when you need that rabbi because your marriage is falling apart or your child is in crisis. It's not just that, that's also true. But it's not just that. It's not just midah keneged midah. It's, it's explaining to us the notion of kedushah. If you don't value holiness to the point of giving truma to the Kohen, then that will permeate the atmosphere of your home, will be an attitude and an atmosphere that doesn't value holiness. And then the result will happen. You'll find yourself at the Kohen because your marriage, the holiness of your marriage, has been compromised and corrupted. The Megid Yosef of Suratskin has an insight here also, I saw that's very interesting and very beautiful. Rashi says the connection is the matnas Kuna. hakesha ben bala isha. He sees a different connection. This man is stingy, this man is self-centered, he doesn't want to give the Kohen what he deserves. What does that have to do with his wife, her behavior? her unfaithfulness. Why does a person act accidentally, why don't they want to give generously? Why does this farmer not want to give the coin what he deserves? The answer is, it's a breakdown, not only interpersonally, it's not only that you are failing to give the coin what he deserves, but it is a breakdown also in faith with Hashem. Why does the farmer not give to the coin? Because he's worried. What if I don't have enough? I can't become wealthy if I give away and share what I have with others. So a lack of faith that Hashem can make me wealthy without my holding on tight to everything I have, the unwillingness to be charitable, and generous is not only unkind to people around you, it is a lack of faith in Hashem that He can't provide or can't make you wealthy even when you give away, especially considering that this is the one area we're allowed to test Hashem, where we have the promise of Aser Asher, that if you give him if you tithe, He will replace, replenish, and expand, and make us wealthy. So this individual was exhibiting not only stinginess, but unfaithfulness. He was unfaithful to Hashem. He didn't have faith in Hashem, and when he accuses his wife, he doesn't have faith in her. If you're not faithful to Hashem, you'll not be faithful to your wife, you're not faithful to people. Inami, or second explanation, If you're not willing to part with your money, in the end, you're going to part with your wife. If you're stingy and you're not willing to part with your money, your wife may go elsewhere, and you're going to end up being parted from your wife. Don't be stingy and self-centered. Be generous and giving. The person who can't give matnas kahuna, says the Megid Yosef, the individual who can't generously give the gift to the coin that they deserve, will probably also be acting that way to their own wife. So stingy, when you're unkind and stingy and self-centered, then it's going to drive the people close to you away. And that's, in fact, what happens. Now moving back to the... He brings, the man brings his wife to the Kohen, he brings an offering, a tenth eighth of barley flour, should not pour oil over it, not put frankincense on it. It's a meal offering of jealousness, a meal offering of remembrance, a reminder of iniquity. A reminder of iniquity. The, um, another tells her, Rabbi Yosef Bloch, Rosh Shiva tells, Rashi says on this Pasuk, why is she bringing a Korban, a sacrifice of saurim and Architim? We spoke about this several times of a so Omer. The Korban HaOmer of Pesach was made from barley, Korban omer that we just brought yesterday, two days ago, Shteya was made from wheat. Why did we go from barley to wheat? Barley is? Machal behema, animal food. We came out of Mitzrayim, a group of animals, Vildachayas, we were a group of animals on the 49th level of Tumba. We counted Svirah Saomer, so we elevated, we ascended, we climbed the ladder. To improve ourselves, to become human beings, to just simply be pashen and adam, to be a human being. So, where do we see that ouruchaim says from there that the count from Pesach to Shavuos, from saorim korban Omer to the stey alachem, is going from being an animal a behema to becoming an adam. So Rashi says the same thing here. What korban does this woman bring who is accused? Saorim. Why? Saorim velochitim. He also saw meisah behema korbanah behema. You acted like an animal, you're a vildachaya, you secluded yourself with a man, you gave into this animal impulse, animal instinct. You acted like an animal, you bring the carbon of an animal. And you don't put oil on this korban. Sometimes we use oil. Oil is very expensive. Oil can be very expensive, it's considered a commodity. And oil elevates everything it's added to, something with oil. Something with oil is considered mahudr, is elevated. Oil is light. Oil glistens and it shines. But she did something in the dark. She did something in the dark. She doesn't use oil on her korban, which illuminates and shines. You don't use frankincense. Lavona. Why? Because our matriarchs were called Lavona. Give us Lavona. She didn't learn from their ways. She didn't act like one of our matriarchs. So Rashi says, You see, in her korban, her korban reflects so much about her mistake and where she went wrong, her korban. Number one, it's made from barley, not weak. She acted like an animal, not a human being. Number two, there's no oil because she didn't act with light. She didn't act enlightened. She, what she did was in the dark. And number three, there's no lavona because the matriarchs, our righteous mothers, were called lavona and she did not follow in their path. She did not walk in their, in their way. In their way. Good. So Rabbi Yosef Shiva tells says the following. He has the following. These are very subtle illusions. When she brings this carbon in the base of Mikdash, you think she realizes there's no oil. It must be because I acted in the dark. There's no lavona. It must be because I didn't follow the matriarchs. And it's made from barley because it must be acted like an animal. If you want to give her a potch, you want to give her musser? tell her straight out, explicitly. Let her have it. Let her know. Give her a musr schmus. What are you embedding such subtle illusions and hints that she likely won't even notice? Such little hints. Barley, not wheat. No oil because she was in the dark. No lavona, she didn't follow the mothers. He says, He says, you see from here, a powerful lesson that sometimes when you want to give someone musar and feedback, it's not explicitly or overtly, it's not overpoweringly, it's subtly and it's with nuance and it seeps in and the person's capable of hearing and learning from it. Sometimes when you let someone have it, the stronger you are, the more they recoil and react in the moment. But it doesn't last. It's a hyper-reaction to a hyper-action in the moment. But it dissipates and disappears quickly. But if you subtly, and in a nuanced way, you get a message across that this was beneath you, you acted like an animal, but you're a human being. That you have role models of matriarchs that you should have followed. That you need to come out of the dark and live in the light. That sometimes the more subtle, the more nuanced our m- message, the deeper it'll penetrate, and the more transformational it will be than the explicit, overt, or overpowering, overwhelming, strong response that we sometimes that we sometimes have. That we sometimes have. The uh, Gra talks about the little differences that we make. The goan, The girl once was with a fellow Jew at an inn, where all good Jewish stories happen, and he saw this non-observant Jew, this Meshubid, this heretic and atheist, was eating without a bracha. The Groll once said, no, you forgot to make a bracha. So the atheist looks at him and says, Forget to make a bracha. Vilnagon, I'm an atheist. I'm a heretic. I don't believe I'm a Mashumid. A bracha you're worried about? You think that because you're a Mashumid, you're not also accountable for the fact that you skipped a bracha? Even being a Mashumid, Hashem cares about each and every little thing. Even the small things, even the little things, Hashem also cares about. The Rambam writes this in one of his letters, the Yigeras HaShman, Teda, Sh'atzaruch Adon Leide Eker Meikari Adas, Sh'Yerov HaB'nevat V'adom LeNifra Mehim Al-Siyas HaAgalem V'Abitol Eirev Tavshilin V'adom Elo. Yerov HaB'nevat, who was a rush of Marusha, who led people astray, Hashem held them accountable, because he didn't make an Eirev tafshilin. Really? That's the little thing he held them accountable for? Yeah, the answer is, even when a person has failed or come up short on the big, you have to care about the little. And that's the subtle message that comes across to the sota. But the inverse is also true. Listen to this incredible insight. Listen to this incredible insight. This Isha sota. this woman, what happens if she's innocent? She's tested, she secluded herself, she locked herself in a room. What happens? She gets pregnant. Why does she get pregnant? Gemara says, If she suffered infertility, she conceives. So you're motivating. This was Hana threatened Hashem. Hana showed an azuz to Kedusha. Hana showed a brazeness. She said, Hashem, here's the deal. Give me a child. If not, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to lock myself in a room with a man. I'm not going to do anything wrong. But the very fact that I'll be warned and witnessed and then lock myself in a room, when I drink those mayim ma'arim, you know what will happen? Then I'll conceive. That's your promise. It's not only the barren. You're not only rewarding those with infertility. Hashem had an answer to her. You're not only rewarding those with infertility, but the Gemara elaborates and says, if you have a girl and you want a boy, you'll have a boy. If you had gave birth in pain, you'll give birth without pain. It's not only those who were barren, even those who previously had had children will be blessed. So the question begs itself, question begs itself, this woman, is she so innocent? Should this woman get the Isha's Khail of the year award at the shul dinner? No, why not? Because it's true that it turns out that she didn't do anything wrong when she was in the room, but she was in the room. She was told, don't seclude yourself with another man. She has a tendency, she's flirtatious, she's been talking to this other man, or maybe she once secluded herself. So the husband says, don't do it again. Kina Vestira. and witnesses see she locked herself in a room. She violated Yichud. Mike Pence doesn't violate Yichud, and she violated Yichud. So it's true that she didn't cross any boundary when she was locked in that room. Good, you got away, you were lucky, you didn't give in to that urge, you didn't do anything in the room. But you're no Your You're no tzadekes. What'd you do going locked in the room? So, why does she get this reward? I understand she doesn't die the horrific graphic death. That makes sense. But why is she blessed with this beautiful gift of children, of a child? Chsam Sofer is bothered by this question. Chsam Sofer says She underwent countless bizyonas. First, the whole world knew they saw her getting dragged to the Besamekdash, to the Mishkan, to the coin. He uncovers her hair, which is very demeaning and degrading. This is the source, by the way, for married women having to cover their hair, from the fact that when she's challenged about her marriage, her hair is uncovered. You see from the fact that the coin uncovers her hair, that ordinarily a married woman has to have her hair covered. So she suffers busyness. It's degrading, it's embarrassing. Every blog, every headline is following this trial is following this accusation. Is it true? Whose side are you on? Justice for the husband or justice for the wife? Hashtag, which one do you believe? It's terrible busyness. She'll never get a part again in a movie. She suffers terrible busyness. Zahsam Sofer says, the very fact that she suffers these terrible busyness, that in itself makes her worthy of the reward if in fact she was innocent. She paid the piper. She put in her time for the embarrassment that she suffers. And therefore she gets the reward. That's the Chesam Sofer's answer. I'm not satisfied by it. Because again, I would understand, you did something wrong, you don't get rewarded. Okay, you don't get punished, but you don't get rewarded. So Reveh Eliyoh has a different answer. Leveh has a different answer. He says the following. Makos tells us that If a person sits and has an opportunity and is tempted by the chance to do an avera, but they don't do it, they get a reward as if they did a mitzvah. Get a reward as if they did a mitzvah. In other words, you're sitting there with some delicious non-kosher. And it looks good and it smells great and you really want it. But you don't eat it. So I would have said, great, you don't get a reward. You just didn't do an Avera. You don't get punished. You didn't do anything wrong. You were neutral. You didn't do anything right either. You just didn't do anything wrong. But the Gemara Makos Chav Gimel tells us that when you're tempted to do something wrong and you overcome it, You've not just not done something wrong, you've done something right. It's Keilu, you did a mitzvah and you get a reward for it. Says the Levi Leo. listen to how powerful this is. Such a powerful partial perspective for today. It's true this woman did something wrong. It's true she locked herself in a room, she secluded herself with a man who wasn't her husband. After she was warned and cautioned not to, it's true she did something wrong. But when she had the chance to compound it, when they had the chance to make it much worse, When she had the chance to sink and spiral downward fast by then doing something wrong with that man, she didn't. And for that, she deserves to be rewarded. For that, she deserves a reward. Yes, the punishment for the fact that she secluded herself, she suffers the terrible busyness. She's humiliated and embarrassed. But you know what, she could have done more that was wrong. And she stopped. She stopped, she didn't. It's a big chizok. A person's looking at something on the internet they shouldn't look at. And they look at it for 59 minutes straight, but in the 60th minute they stop. Their conscience kicks in and they say, I shouldn't be looking at this. I shouldn't be acting out on it. And they turn it off and they turn away. So do you say, wow, what a low life, ice, miserable, unholy, terrible person. They looked at the wrong thing. They acted in the wrong way. Kadesh Baruch was making burning at Maybe for the first 59 minutes. Probably not, but maybe. But we should not dismiss or discount that in that 60th minute, Who says, wow, I love you. That means something, it means something to me. You spoke Lashon Hara for 20 minutes and in the 21st minute you said, you know what, let's stop talking about this. My conscience has kicked in, not just because I ran out of good juicy Lashon Hara, I still have plenty more to share, but my conscience kicked in and I don't want to compound it and add to it. Does it matter, does it make a difference? Absolutely, it counts and he cares. So much so that this woman, she did the wrong thing by secluding herself, but when she then stopped herself, Kadosh Baruch Hu cares. It matters. It makes a difference. So you see, the atheist who makes a bracha, Kadosh Baruch Hu is not so happy. They don't believe in him. But the little bracha matters. The little things they matter. They make a difference. They have a cosmic implication. They matter to a Kadosh Baruch Hu. They matter. Why do we say she doesn't bring the levona? She doesn't bring the levona, the frankincense, because our emos, our matriarchs, are called levona, and she didn't live darcheim. She didn't live on their path. She didn't follow in their way. So what? Was she really meant to live like them? Is that even a possibility? So, Shiva of Zatzal, he says, She's not accountable that she didn't live on the level of Sarah Rivka Who can? Who can? They're the imos for a reason. Who can? That's what we're holding her accountable for. That she wasn't Sarah Rivka She doesn't bring Lavona in her carbon. They're called Lavona. She didn't live like them. So, says the Rashiva of Chabtschaim. Note, look carefully, that is not what it says. It doesn't say she's accountable because she didn't reach their level. Rather, he pir she separated midarchein, from their path, from their way. It's not that she didn't live like them, it's that she didn't aspire to live on their path, in their direction. She didn't take that trajectory. We are not accountable for not reaching those levels. We're accountable for not having that ambition, that aspiration, for not making that effort, for not caring or for not trying. That we are accountable for. Kamara Chazal tells us, Tanah Eliyahu tells us that a person has to say to themselves every day, when will my actions reach the actions of my forefathers? Avram not when will I become them? I'm not capable of becoming them. I'm not meant to become them. We spoke before all about being makir as You have to stay in your lane, you have to know your place. You're not meant to be Sauraf Garachalna, you're not meant to be Avram Sayyid Yaakov. So how why doesn't she bring the Lavona? Not because she wasn't them, but because she didn't aspire or have an ambition. She didn't have the drive to follow in their footsteps to walk in their to walk in their way. The Megad Yosef of Saratskin asks a great question. When does she bring the karban? When she's accused, before she drinks the water. You don't yet know the outcome. We don't yet know whether she was guilty. So why does she bring because it's behema. You don't know if she acted like an animal yet. The jury's still out. The water results haven't come back. She brings the carbon of barley, barley, not wheat, because she acted like an animal. But it's before we yet know if she acted like the animal. An animal acts on nature. So why is Nus near Shamaisa Behema Ish Shapirs He says, The Mice Behema is not the fact that she, what she did in that seclusion with that man. That's not the Maisa The Maisa was that she allowed herself to be secluded. What she did in that room maybe have been Maisa Behima or not, but that was the very act of, of going into the room was a Maisa She acted like a behemah. A behema is ungrateful to the owner who gives it food. And this woman was ungrateful to the relationship, unfaithful to a relationship that had responsibility to it. So you're right, it's before the results are in, but the ma'isa behema was not necessarily what happened in the room. It was even the ability to go in the room to begin with. To go in the room to begin with. You know, once a person's in that room, in that situation, in that setting, it's difficult, if not impossible, to overcome the animal impulse. The whole reason we have an institution and a prohibition of yichud is to say, don't put yourself in that circumstance. Don't put yourself in that situation. Because once you're in that situation and circumstance, it's almost impossible not to fall or fail. So, the key in the core is don't even get there to begin with, to stay true and honest, to never ever get there to begin with. This part is incredible. Birchas we have all of the Naseem, the Karbanas Naseem, that repeated over and over and over again. I only had a hundred more Divrei to tell you. Ishki Yafli, Lindor Neder, Yazir Atzma, Minayayim, is a Nazir good or bad, the roll of wine? Why become a Nazir? Yavi Oso, he's brought. Atzmo, we have to bring ourselves. Personal responsibility. I have another hour of shir prepared here. Who's in for another hour? Don't worry, I'm not. So, you're okay. You're okay. Make a lachaim. Let's make a lachaim. We need a klimach bracha. We'll end with the end of the parsha. One more insight. One more insight. The very end of the parsha, Zion Aleph, Parak Zion Pasag Aleph, 7 1. Towards the end of the parsha, you're going to see him. It was on the day that Moshe finished. Inaugurating the Mishkan, he anointed it, sanctified it in the utensils and the altar and everything in it. It says on the day that Moshe finished inaugurating. It doesn't say the day that he established. For seven days, Moshe put it together, took it apart. Put it together, took it apart. On the seventh day he put it together, he didn't take it apart. It was the end of putting together and taking it apart. It doesn't say he put it together for the first time. It was the erection, the inauguration. It was the end of putting it together and taking it apart. Why did he do that so many times? Why did he have to put it together and take it apart so many times? How many times? Seven. Why? It's not a coincidence, says Razeel Epstein. We have the idea that a tzaddik falls seven times and gets up. You're not called a tzaddik if you didn't fall seven times and get up. The things that we build get destroyed. The things that we construct fall apart. The things that we build sometimes unravel. In life we have mistakes and we have failures and we have shortcomings. In life we fall. Moshe Rabbeinu was modeling for us the idea of standing up each time that you fell. That you put it together even when it comes apart and then you put it together again even if it comes apart that Moshe himself was modeling for us. Don't become disheartened and don't despair. Don't become hopeless and don't become helpless because even the great Moshe Rabbeinu for the Mishkan, seven days, seven times, sheva we will fall. And the key and the definition of being a tzaddik is our ability and our willingness to get back up. Again, we will not have shir next two weeks in person. Whether we will stream it live online, I'll let you know. Um, just uh, pay attention to the announcements. Stay happy, stay healthy. Stay holy.